So Patty, we've got a, another action-packed episode here about uh, all kinds of stuff. So tell us about the interview since you lined this one up today. Yeah, so this is we're speaking with Eric Goldberg of uh, NRS Petro, correct? I think I have that name right. Um, On the opportunity for uh, selling EMV compliance to uh, Petro stations and C stores. Yeah, and deadline's coming up in April, right? April 1st. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there. I think uh, we talked, it's maybe half of the gas stations out there are compliant. So, you know, uh, it's a high cost option, but uh, NRS has a very interesting retrofit option. So I think our listeners will be interesting to hear that. And then uh, in my insider's report, we talk about Venmo and the competitors, uh, FinTech type competitors and and what you should be thinking about. And uh, in your questions from the field, James? Yeah, so I get uh, pretty excited and passionate about the idea of closing sales. I talk about what sales, what what really makes you a sales professional? It's making sales. Uh, right. Go figure. So we talk about how to close deals without uh, seeming pushy, without going over that line. Yeah, I think it's really some really you're very passionate, but it's some and it's very uh, insightful information. Awesome. Well, Patty, I'm ready. If you are, let's go. Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. James and I are here today with Eric Goldberg of uh, NRS Petro. Hey, Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Patty. Thanks so much. And hello, James. Good to see you again. Eric. Yeah. So, you know, I know that we spoke with you, I guess it was, what, about a year or two ago, perhaps, um, when you were with Sound Payments. And, uh, you know, what if you wanted to, you know, sort of bring everybody up to date on what you're up to these days when you jo- when you join NRS Petro, the com- you know, what the company's focus is, just kind of put it into pr- perspective since we kind of know your history. You've been at this business for a while. Um, and I know that uh, you're really passionate about uh, EMV compliance and getting petrol stations up to speed. So can you uh, fill everybody in on what you're doing? Absolutely. And I appreciate you. Uh, and, and thank you both for having me again. It's, it's, it's an honor to be back. So, so yeah, we spoke about a year ago um, and we were talking about EMV, the deadline, what it meant. Uh, a lot of these questions still resonate today, um, but uh, you know now what I've done since then is I've actually gone out and I've taken the EMV device, which is obviously crucial and important to gas stations being compliant uh, this, this April. But what I've done is I've bundled it with the point of sale, which is obviously a tool that you need. Uh, you know, in most cases, a lot of these POS systems are, are out of compliance themselves. Right. Uh, and then we have a four court controller which is another device, four-court controller. It's a tough one sometimes. Uh, I always misspell it myself, but um, that's another big piece of equipment that we've integrated our, our you know, EMV device from. Um, and I mean, we're closely with, with our partner sound payments that helps provide that EMV piece, but we've bundled it with our bread and butter solution, um, which is the NRS point of sale, which we have in the market, over 13,000 of them. Um, and now we're able to take that, that device and, and not just for us, but for everybody else. This is really a solution, not just for, for our customers, but for the whole market. And, and we take this bundle and we're offering it to the stations and it what we have is all the tools in our pocket to help the individual station and and you know we'll get into this but we we do a site survey for each gas station and then that helps us know what pieces of the solution do do we need to sell because each station is different each one has different needs pos types four courts we'll we'll, we'll jump into that but but that's where i'm at now i'm i'm in the market we're going direct to the customer we're working with uh different pump pump service companies throughout the u.s uh, you can see my map here. We're, we're making more relationships every day. Got a couple of pins in the Jersey, New York area, and uh, we're expanding that all, all over the country. So we're out. We're working with gas stations. We're working with hundreds of sales agents throughout the country in different partnerships, and uh, we are installing stations. Love it. Oh, that's awesome. So, Eric, um, 
and you know, I've had the opportunity to work pretty closely with NRS over the over the last few years, and I think it's really exciting. I love what you've done. If, if you still have this partnership with Sound Payments, but kind of bringing that full circle to have kind of the ISO type relationship as well. Um, so now you've got the point of right. sale. It seems like you've kind of got the full, you know, really the full package of what these uh, fuel stations need. So let's zoom out a little bit um, before Patty gets into all of her questions about this. I really want to know you know, where are we at? So, you know, we keep, they moved the deadline back six years at this point, I believe, something like that. Six or seven. Right. It's somewhere along yeah. that line. Hard yeah. to keep up. Yeah. So, you know, tell us about that. Why, you know, what's the current state of the fuel market? Uh, you know, Petro stations, why the deadline keeps getting moved back. Why, how do you see this playing out, uh, you know, here in the, in the short term and what's the current state of the Petro, uh, you know, industry? That's a great question, um, and, and something that we always use in the industry um, are our friends Conexus. Uh, they they are the governing body when it comes to the Petro's D store, uh, right. you know, environment, the language that things speak to, and they've got this great resource. It's the survey that they uh, do every quarter or season, uh, and the most recent survey that they had uh, pegged the market at about 40% EMB compliant. Now that was a couple of months ago. Uh, but, you know, maybe we, we add a few percentage points to that, et cetera. Uh, we're still in, in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. It, it's very tough. Um, if, if you look at the history of EMB at the pump, there's five major points as to why uh, it, it hasn't, you know, uh, picked up more. That's the lack of hardware, the lack of software, uh, the extensive certification process today, uh, the lack of technicians. Um, and then essentially uh, everything, all, all the other details in between, the managed network service providers, all the little details that, that right. are helping constrain things today. So where we're at is if you take 10 gas stations out of a hat, you're going to have five that really are gung-ho. We understand what's going on. We need to upgrade. We get it. And those are, are people that we're installing left and right. Then you're going to have a few others that are a little apprehensive. Oh, the deadline? What do you mean? It's got extended six years. Ah, uh, it'll get extended again. Or I don't have enough fraud to, to justify this today. So they think uh, that's that's another three. And then the last two are, are you know more like, hey, not interested, or, uh, or we can do it, but you know it's just more apprehensiveness. But they always end up coming back. So what I'd say is, due, due to the you know extensions and due to the especially the pandemic. Uh, but sometimes the last thing people are thinking about is accepting the chip on people's cards at the pump. It's more like, hey, supply chain uh, management, the vendors, uh, an employee has uh, is sick. Uh, we're sanitizing the pumps, the stores. So uh, it's definitely on people's minds. Um, it's not on everybody's mind, but I would say about half the pumps out there are probably EMB compliant. And uh, most of those, probably 80% or more or less, depending on the survey, I got to double check, uh, but are, are mostly branded. Most of the big mm -hmm. brands have programs right. that the oil companies help them with and there's distributor uh, subsidations going on and all these different things um, but no one's really thinking about the end of the tale all the independent unbranded stations right. that don't have the wallets or the contracts or the special uh, agreements set up with, with big oil or big big amazons of the world uh, the distributors in the, in the fuel world so That's i would say that I think, Patty, before you jump in there, one thing I just sure. realized that probably we should mention to our, our listening audience, those that maybe didn't listen to the last one, is just what we're talking about in general here. So for right. those who don't, don't realize, you know, um, they're supposed to be EMV compliance, meaning you can use a chip card. Um, and so there was a deadline. It was quite a while back for retail restaurant type businesses. I think it was 2015. Yeah, I think oh, it was like 15. October 2015 or April 2015. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the idea is any business that's not EMV compliant, that's not able to take that chip, then there's some fraud issues where any of these fraud transactions, now the merchant becomes liable for that rather than the bank or the card brand. Right. Uh, 
but because of fuel stations and what Eric's going to talk about today and kind of the extensive and complicated process uh, that existed before with, you know, there wasn't solutions like this for them to become EMB compliant was very complicated and expensive. So they, they gave that deadline, they pushed it out further, but now that's coming up in April, right? Right, right. Okay. So in and April, it, now they, they have to. So I just want to throw that out there so our audience knew kind of what we were talking about. Right. And it's also probably worth noting that it was supposed to be last April and probably would have been last April if it hadn't been for, or actually it was supposed to be October, excuse me, October, October 2020. And if it hadn't been for COVID, it probably would have been October 2020. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out as a, you know, and, you know, but let's speak, if you don't mind, Eric, just really briefly to what are the risks and costs of not being EMV compliant? I mean, I, James referred to the fraud, but I think it goes a lot deeper than that, right? And, and also, we might want to explain, you might want to talk about the fact that a lot of these yep. gas pumps are, 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 are havens for skimmers, for card skimmers, right? hundred uh, percent. I'm fortunate to, you know, uh, really originally be from New Jersey where we have attendance pump our gas and right. the same as Oregon, which is a little different for us. Uh, but everywhere else, I mean, these are unattended devices that are just sitting there. Uh, and if you look at, uh, if you just Google, there's a different skimming attack every day. Right. Um, so, so essentially wh where we're at with this is according to the Connexus survey, if people do not upgrade to EMV at the pump, they're facing around $200,000 of additional fraud and chargebacks and liabilities over the, over the course of the next seven years. So if, if you extrapolate that out, it's, a, it's almost you know, $3,000 a month um, extra that people will, will be facing. And wow. uh, what happens that a lot of people don't know, yeah, is that chargebacks and different things will occur behind the scenes and mm -hmm. it won't even hit their statement. So when they say, oh, I only have $100 of chargebacks a year, um, there's not too much to justify you know, upgrading. To be honest with you, it, it's a scenario where there is more happening behind the scenes and that will all go to the merchant. So uh, if you know, same thing happened in retail, I, I spoke to someone close in that industry uh, when EMV came out, there was a lot of big businesses that took the risk and said, hey, we're not gonna upgrade to EMV. And within one month, they racked up hundreds of thousands of dollars of chargebacks and fraud that they were on the hook for and they immediately upgraded. So. Um, wow. You know, if, if they don't upgrade, you know, they, they, they can certainly do that. And that there's, there's no law that says if you're not upgraded by April 15th, that you are, you're shut down or there's right, fine. Right. There's not, there's none of that. It's just that now you're on the hook for things you maybe didn't see before or, or fraud that you didn't know about. Right, right. And, and again, the fraud that you don't know about, just to sort of go back, like we were talking a moment ago, is because of these, these are unattended. Um, you know, anybody with a master key, and there's a lot of fraudsters yep. out there who know how to get those master keys, can go up to the mom and pop gas station at one o'clock in the morning, open it up, insert a skimmer. They're, they're, you know, extrapolating that data and then selling it on the black market. And that's where the right. fraud is really coming in, right? I mean, like you said, I, I, there isn't a day that goes by, you know, I have, um, what do you call it, notifications on my news feed in there. It's not a day that goes by that I don't see something from someplace involving, hey, you know, we found uh, five Skinners in Pinellas County last week, you know, uh, things right. like that. So so if you don't mind, Eric, could you speak briefly or, or might not be able to do it too briefly, but, mm -hmm. you know, what are the pieces that go into this? I mean, you know, you talked about there's so many moving pieces, you know, that's the big obstacle for a lot of people. Um, and that's also what contributes to the cost. Um, can you can you can you speak to the pieces that go into making this um, you know, transition? And just if you don't mind 
uh, giving a little explanation. I know in the beginning you talked about four court uh, controllers, and mm -hmm. you know I think a lot of our listeners may not understand what that what that piece is, and that is a very major piece in this. Hundred percent, and that's a great question. So, so really, there are four pillars of our solution, or the solution in general, uh, when it comes to gas station uh, visiting this EMV compliance deadline. There is the point of sale. That's very important for us to figure out. Um, our survey has a bunch of questions on it, but if we know what point of sale they have, that gives us, hey, is it EMV compliant already? Can, mm -hmm. can we work with it? Because we are integrated with, with, there's a lot of people made the transition to buying new point of sales over the past couple of years. Right. We might've spent $10,000, $15,000 on a point of sale on a four court controller, which we'll get to combo. And, and, and we recognize that. So it's important for us to understand what point of sale do they have? Can we work with it? Mm -hmm. If so, we integrate to it. Our pump devices work with that. It all speaks to each other. If, it, if we don't work with it, then we, we have our point of sale to sell, NRS Petro point of sale. The second piece is the uh, four-court controller, and that's uh, F-O-R-E-C-O-U-R-T, four-court right. controller. And, and think of this as a middleman device, piece of equipment. It helps the EMV devices at the pump speak to the POS in the store. It's what controls the pumps. Mm -hmm. So we took a lot of time and energy to integrate our, our point of sale and the pump devices to this four-court controller. So we need to look at that device at the, at the current station. Is it out of compliance? Is it 10, 20 years old? Most of them are. Mm -hmm. um, however, some are newer and we can work with. So we explore that. Uh, the next piece is the merchant services. We see what, what network that they're running with because merchant services are very intertwined in the solution from the POS to, to the forecourt uh, to, to everything that we're doing. It, it's part of it. So we, we look at that. Um, and really the, the last piece is we look at um, location, site, wiring, th those are all, all, all very important. So, but the, but the most important, like I said, are forecourt, POS, uh, and, and the merchant services and network equipment. Now, when I've talked to, you know, and I've talked to a lot of people over the last couple of years about this, and, and, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up is the biggest hassle is that for a, a totally, you know, to, Totally, a lot of gas stations feel like they have to totally rip out everything, you know, yeah. close up the station, rip down the, the, the tanks and, you know, and go at it full course. Now, what you're talking about, I believe, is sort of retrofitting, right? Is that, is that a, fair, a fair assumption? Um, Absolutely. And so can you, can, so, yeah. can, can you kind, of kind of give us a comparison there of, you know, you know, why they don't have to rip everything out and why a retrofit would fit would work in and, and what conditions that would be required for that? Absolutely, for sure. I think a good example would be to give a, a gas station example and have all three options on the table. Okay. So uh, the first option the station has is to get brand new gas pumps. That'll be their most likely the first thing that their partner or salesperson will say in the industry if they go their normal route. Uh, and they cost between 10 and $20,000 depending on, on the price. So for each pump, that that's is, right? For, for each pump. So if you have a four gas station, a four pump uh, example, where there's four dispensers, excuse me, uh, they would, you know, you would have to charge between ten dollars and $20,000 per pump, which is a domino effect. You would need to get the integrated point of sale, the integrated network service provider, um, all the different pieces that fall in line with that solution. Um, option B is that the manufacturers of the gas pumps make their own retrofit kits. Mm -hmm. However, they're very pricey per side. It can cost anywhere between two and four thousand dollars per side of the gas pump, plus installation, plus the forecourt controller having to be the same, and the network and the POS. So another domino effect. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's option two, and you're looking at still about ten grand a gas pump. And in both of those, between eight and ten grand. 
And in both of those cases, they have to close down for at least a time, right? Right. Uh, they're going to take the pumps down. Their network's going to be down. There's really no way about it in, in terms of, you know, everything being 100% operational. Things have to be changed. You know, right. when you take a gas pump out, there's cables that go underground. You're, you're, you lose in-store revenue. There's construction. Sometimes permits are needed to, to be had. Mm-hmm. Um, and that opens up all sorts of, you know, things. So, so those are the, are the, the two options they have today. Now, sometimes the pumps are too old and they can't retrofit them. So they say, wow, you have to get a brand new pump. We have to rip it out. That's where we come in, in all scenarios, because mm-hmm. our device, the NRS EMB Easy Pump works on pretty much all gas pumps. I mean, I got sent one from the 1930s. I had to turn down yesterday. Uh, it, it was <laughs> Are like you from serious? The Jurassic era. Right? <laughs> but, 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 wow. Exactly. So I'm say, I say all, oh, and they're like, oh. Um, but no, I mean, if you're pumping your gas by hand, we probably have to take a look at it. Um, right. <laughs> but, but for all intents and purposes, uh, we look at the gas pump and we're saving, I like to say we're saving gas pumps and saving wallets. Um, our first gas station we installed a while back, they had an invoice for about $150,000. They had eight pumps. They got a deal for $15,000 a pump. Um, they had a POS quote. I think it was, you know, like I said, it was 140,000 or some odd dollars. We were able to come in and do each pump, each side for a thousand bucks. And they saved their gas pumps. They didn't have to rip them out. I mean, a lot of these gas pumps out there are perfectly fine, clean nozzles. They work properly, except not for having EMB. So mm-hmm. why rip it out? Why, why affect your business, especially in the pandemic? Save your gas pumps. That, right. That's what we're trying to preach. Right, right. That's all, and, then, and then in that scenario, you're saying they wouldn't have to shut the whole station down because you could go through and do the pumps kind of one at a time because they're being retrofitted with your solution. Exactly. That's the huge cherry on top that we like to tell people and explain that, hey, you don't have to take your whole station down. A lot of the times, you know, we're aware that, that you know, we're not necessarily a, an active major you know, drug or not in this space. Everyone say, oh, you know, you know they, they, they want to learn more about us. They want to uh, maybe preheat the oven before you put the turkey in. Right. So a way that we like to, to, you know, grease the engine is say, hey, we can install one gas pump. We can hit, so hook, uh, hook it up to our point of sale and our four core controller. And uh, you can have your station run standalone with this old system so that nothing's affected. Uh, and you can see how our device uh, works and how our, our system speaks and, and we can phase it in. That, that's kind of the key. So we can phase pump by pump in. Um, and how long does it take for one pump to do to do that retrofit on just just curious on that is that like are we talking hours minutes right so we're talking uh you know most likely you know minutes to hours depending on the size of the station uh you know basically the pump techs we work with out there we're partners with uh, i've seen them just pop off the thing obviously uh do everything properly and they're certified but i've seen them do within 20 minutes uh sometimes uh, but we're there on site. We work closely with them. We don't leave till everything's working properly. And the beauty of this is that most of these gas stations that we work with are going to have to get rid of their old four core controller or their distribution box or their old Ruby super system point of sale, regardless of us. Mm-hmm. So why not have an option to get the most cost effective POS, the most cost effective four core and EMV at the pump. And, and, you know, we work with them on the merchant services. It's not like we're here saying, oh, we have to have, you know, it's the only reason we're in business, right? It's not true. We're here because we want to uh, match or be competitive or, or, or work with them because we're aware a lot of gas stations have relationships with friends and family. They got a sweetheart deal, a good right. rate, something they're so used to, oh, it's Bob or Steve or Mike. Um, we, we get that. But, you know, where's their EMD solution for you, right? What, what, 
they do they have something to help you upgrade? You know, so we'll work with them and, and we'll try to make everyone happy. It's cool. Part of it. Cool. So so Eric, let's 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 kind of transition to the ISO and agents who are out there listening. You know, what's the opportunity here for them? You know, is this something that they, you know, they have to be selling to see stores in Petro already? And maybe, you know, beyond the actual retrofit, what are some additional, you know, what are some of the uh, revenue opportunities that they can get from this? Absolutely. Uh, so what we've created is a program. Um, and what this program does is it lets we, what we do best, lets us do what we do best and lets the ISOs and merchant services uh, partners do what they do best, right? So, it's, so we will focus on helping them close the deal and we process, you know, the whole deal through through our system, um, and then we work closely with them as a referral partner type, and they will sit back and make recurring revenue as a, a piece of the credit card processing split and a piece of the monthly recurring SaaS fee that we charge for the POS. So depending on the sale, uh, some will have uh, all parts of the solution, some will have pieces of the solution based on the needs. But now this is something that, especially in the environment we're in with restaurants, you know, uh, being on the downswing, retail brick and mortar. I mean the industry sort of been evolving and changing. So we're able to help ISOs and other partners out there like that, cast a wider net, maybe mm -hmm. uh, go to a, a customer that they didn't go to before. You know, could they sell an EMV device at the pump before? Probably not. Um, right. You know, was there a POS that they were selling that can control the pumps and have consolidated reporting and change the fuel prices and do all the cool stuff? Probably not. So we're able to say, hey, here's another way that you can go out. You already have boots on the ground. You have salespeople. Uh, you can go to your existing customers. Um, and, and we could work with them or there's new customers. It's pretty much everybody. And uh, we work in tandem. So it's not like it's a set it and forget it where a deal is brought to us and we don't work with the sales agent. We work in hand with them, them he or she. Um, we keep CCs on email chains. We have a whole whole team and process behind it. But it's a way where everyone makes uh, makes sense. There. Just, well, uh, you know, I, if you don't mind, go I, ahead, James. I, to, no, I just wanted to jump in and add a little context. I had a kind of a funny story I wanted to tell our our listeners about this, oh, but great. I'll talk yeah. about the opportunity for the ISOs. So it is funny. I, I uh, was working with, with NRS and uh, we actually made a custom video training course, which I know you make available to your partners about, you know, selling these Petro stations. And so it's kind of funny. I, uh, you know, my, one of the first steps is I always make this like big outline of all the videos I'm going to do, you know, when I, when I do this, so I sent it over and I really thought I did my research so well. Eric looked at it in about two seconds. He's like, you spelled four court wrong. It's a funny one. The way I, I do that too. Yeah. It's, it's, Number four. <laughs> right. Um, no, that so, was good. Yeah. But I will say, you know, one thing that's really struck me, you know, doing hours of research into this industry and kind of the opportunity for the salespeople is that, it, you know, when you first look at it, it seems complicated because it's different. You right, know, right. it's just not what we normally would sell in this industry, you know, as far as the people that are out selling restaurant retail. But the, the thing is, honestly, I actually think it's simpler in a lot of ways because, you know, once you learn these kind of four main pillars that, uh, you know, Eric is telling us, that's it. Like gas stations all work pretty much the same as far as the payment processing goes. There's some different point of sale systems, different forecourt controllers and things, but it all kind of, you know, it's once you learn it, you learn it, and you can sell anybody on it. And so the other thing is, um, you know, I just want to speak to the revenue opportunity and obviously not to steal any of Eric's thunder, but I mean, this is really interesting. I mean, these gas stations, they do pay money every month for the software, right, Eric, to, to do this, as you mentioned. And I mean, it's not a small amount of money and you're still saving right. money. It's less than they're probably paying now. But you talk about retention. 
how right. often do you think that right. gas station is going to want to do this again? You know, like, I mean, would you say, Eric, right. I mean, I would imagine that the retention on these accounts is like nearly forever in terms of this is a very long-term account. There's a lot of extra revenue opportunities because of the software. And that's something that the agents get to participate in, right? Yeah. And I mean, the proof's in the pudding. Look at, if you look at the market right now, a lot of these POS systems that we're pulling out, these old Ruby super systems, these gemstones, these Gobarco G sites, all these obsolete systems, they've been around, they've been in the business for 20 years. Right. I mean, if you talk about retention, I mean, it's been working, it's been stable. It's just now not compliant. Right. So, I mean, uh, in, in terms of the, the solution we're offering, it's it's got reach in a lot of different areas in the business, and it helps the business in a lot of ways. So, you know, replacing a gas pump and taking something out and rip, everything's so integrated that we like to obviously make sure they're comfortable and everything's everyone's on the same page. But yes, it is a, a very secure type of, of client. And 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 if I remember correctly, I know um, you know just. To, tell James, I talked to Eric about a week or two ago for a story I was writing for the Green Sheet on this. And I recall, Eric, you mentioning something about um, funding options, how you offer gas stations, you know, the opportunity, you know, loan agreements, you know, to help fund the this yep. transition. Now, there's an opportunity there as well for the, for the ICER or the agent, correct? 100%. I mean, we have our own in-house funding for deals that, that we'll have. So it's uh, getnrsfunding.com. It's our own division. It's like a cash advance type because we are aware it's not, not just for us, but for, for any ISOs as well that, that do financing or funding. We're all aware that $15,000, even though our invoice is 15000 or 20000 and we're still saving a 100000 <laughs> still a lot of money. Right. I mean, hey, it's a lot going on right now. So why not take this investment that it, you know and break it out over 60 months or 36 months or have a monthly payment no money down and you're installed the next day you're compliant so right. that's something that we like to, to offer um to make sure that people know that there's options yeah yeah well you know this has been really cool erica you know one of the things i'm wondering is that um you know given the state of the market 60 or 50 50 or 60 percent still out there non-compliant Obviously, they're not all going to be compliant come April 1st. Um, you know, what's your best assessment of the window of opportunity that exists for selling EMV compliant, um, you know, systems to uh, AFD, automated fuel dispensers? So, you know, I sit on a lot of different association, you know, calls and people in the industry. And, and I could say that part of the, what I've heard from colleagues and people in the space is we, we think it's going to be about a one to two or three year transition. Okay. Uh, if you look at retail, some people, you know, businesses didn't transition. Some did quickly, some didn't. Uh, but everyone, you know, now pretty much accepts retail, right? It's been a five or six year or EMB right. in retail. Um, so we do think it'll be about a one to three year uh, transition. Uh -huh. However, the sense of urgency couldn't be higher. I mean, if, if you look at the different aspects of this equation, you've got um, the most expensive solutions on the market. So people are in checkmate with, with, with the financial cost of it. You've got the deadline of it being about 45 to 50 days away. So there's a time uh, mm -hmm. aspect to this. And then you've got the financial burden this is going to put on a lot of businesses if they don't do it, that they'll maybe see over time. So I think back to my uh, you know example before, out of 10 people, five or six are like, let's do it. We've been hearing about this. You're, we, we see that you're the most cost-effective option. You can help save our gas pumps. Let's do it. And we're installing those people today. Uh, then you have a few that you need to educate a little more and it'll it'll just be sort of the, the natural uh, process of time where they see and, and once their wallets get hit, unfortunately, uh, then you'll see uh, more, more come over. But uh, that, that's what I'd say. 
Cool, cool. James, do you have any other questions? No, I really don't. I think it's I think it's super interesting because I think it speaks to the larger theme about on our podcast, which is you know we're always finding these opportunities for agents to sell more merchant accounts. But I think right. Right. most of the really good opportunities do require you to come out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, I right. guess maybe one of the things that it would be great, Eric, is you you've alluded a couple times to the survey. Um, maybe maybe yeah. give a little more context to that for the agents that are listening right now and saying that all sounds super interesting, but I still can't imagine going and talking to a fuel station owner about their court controller. Can you describe the sales process and, and how you guys really do take the brunt of the complicated stuff? Absolutely. Uh, and it's a great question because that's what it all boils down to. Uh, so let's just say that we work with a partner that hears this podcast today and they want to sign with us. So once that's done, we, we get the agreement piece out of the, out of the way. Everyone's on the same page. We basically give this um, partner a link to a survey. And this is something that their salespeople can, in the field, fill out, whether it's on a tablet, on the fly, uh, however they want to do it, anything with, with a web browser. And then NRS Petro, we immediately get that survey. And on the survey, it'll ask you that your name, your number, uh, what's the address of the gas station? How many gas pumps do they have? What's the four-court controller name uh, and location? Um, it'll say, hey, what's the credit card network? Uh, what times do the gas pumps close down? These are little details with, uh, that we'd like to know. But basically, it's a very simple survey. And you can upload pictures. And once we get that, NRS Petro can quote the customer within 10 minutes to an hour, depending on when we get it. We just take a look at it and we're able to immediately quote them. And not only is the salesperson involved in, in the phone calls and the emails, but I mean, it's the whole process. Uh, and we will answer all the tough questions that the customer has. They're going to have lots of questions about who, you know, who are you guys? Right. How does it work? Do you have testimonials? Is there any of the gas stations that have it? How does it speak to each other wirelessly? All the details, because everyone's so used to the status quo, right. brand new gas pumps, manufacturer retrofit, managed. So, so let us answer all the hard questions. All the salesperson needs to do is be a relationship manager, introduce us to the customer, help be the, the engine fuel uh, oil that helps the, the engine go between all of us and then sit back and collect residuals. And, and I can tell you, our POS is starting at $84.95 a month. So everyone who signs on will get $21 a month um, for the life of the contract, just from the software. It's $250 a year, just sitting back and making it, in addition to the credit card residuals. Right. And, and, and that's something we can talk about deeper with individual companies. But it's a way to add uh, two more arrows in your quiver that you weren't selling today. And, right. and we could do all the hard question answering. Uh, we would just lean on you to be a, a great relationship manager and partner with us. Very good. Love it. Love it. So, you know, I'm sure there are some folks out there listening who want to learn more about how they might work with NRS. You know, could, where, would, where would you send them, Eric? So I would first uh, advise everyone to go to nrspetro.com. And we have you know, a great website that shows the actual countdown to the EMV deadline. So if anybody's curious, you can actually pull that up and see the, the ticking count, countdown right, right there. Right. Uh, we've got our pricing all over that website, NRS Petro pricing. You can see the software bundles, the warranties. The, the, you know, we have an e-commerce package, which is huge, right? Uh, so I recommend going to nrspetro.com. Um, and we will work with each company and partner individually. So if, if there's someone listening and they, they would like to set up a call, we go through the whole sales pitch. We'll share a marketing deck. Uh, in fact, we'll help train your salespeople. So we could do a webinar. We could uh, do co-branded marketing documents with your team uh, and we'll work hand in hand. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And so uh, nrspetro.com, correct? 
Yeah, and you can find us as an approved vendor on the Conexus uh, EMV resources website too. We, we have a great relationship with Conexus uh, and NAC, the uh, National Association of Convenience Stores, Convenience stores. Um, and we've we've been in, in a, in a, we're an approved vendor. Uh, so so it's great to have that as well. Oh, Eric, this has been awesome. I've really I I've even learned more today than I learned the last time we spoke. So <laughs> that's always great, and I and I I suspect our listeners are 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 learning things too. So hopefully. Uh, Hopefully, people will take the lead. I mean, you know, it's it. There's a at least a two-year window of opportunity, as Eric noted. Uh, I I would I would be out there doing it if I was a sales if I was a sales rep. I love all the information. I think again, uh, opening these opportunities up. Maybe there's you know, ten of our listeners that are going to actually grab hold of this and go do it, and they're going to be the ones that are going to increase their residuals by two three thousand a month a year from now, and as you mentioned earlier, that's probably a 20 year account <laughs> instead of a three, year right. Account, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 And just one thing I want to add to oh, sure. is that we're sharing uh, the credit card processing residuals and they're getting a larger pie. Cause you can think about just doing merchant services mm-hmm. in a convenience store. You're, you're, you know, just you're withheld to what comes in the convenience store. Right. Uh, but now you're going to be going to be getting not only just the, the monthly credit card, uh, uh, you know, excuse me, the monthly uh, SAS, MRC, the, the monthly recurring charge piece, but you're, they're getting you know a large portion of the credit card processing for the whole station. So the right. pumps, all the volume that goes through there, all the volume that in the store, all the e-commerce uh, additions we're doing. So it, it's a percentage of a larger pot. I just want to keep that. In mind. And that's true. I mean, even the fill-ups alone are larger than the average C, right. C store ticket. So right, right, great. Awesome. Great stuff, Eric. Thanks so much for joining us today and sharing all that helpful information. I know our audience is going to love it, and I'm sure a lot of them will head over to nrspetro.com and check it out. James and Patty, thank you so much. It's a pleasure, and I look forward to uh, working with you more in the future. Take care. Same here, my friend. So, Patty, real quick word about our sponsor, Valor Paytech. All kinds of exciting things. Actually, you know what I just realized, Patty? I didn't think of this until now recording it. I just got the email from them that they are putting out their new Android uh, device. So they actually have the touchscreen terminal now. Uh, I think it's going to be the lowest cost one on the market. Um, Excellent. Excellent. So they're always innovating, always coming out with new stuff. I'm sure we'll be interviewing them about that and putting some more information out in the coming weeks. Um, but all that to say, if you're selling standalone terminals to merchants, whether it's cash discounting, surcharging, traditional processing, doesn't matter. If you're selling standalone terminals to merchants and you're like, I really wish I had something that worked well, that had the omni-channel integration, Head over to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, B-A-L-O-R. Check it out. Check it out. Thanks, James. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, in today's Questions from the Field, I want to answer a what I would call a theme question. In other words, a question that I get asked so many times from so many different people in different ways that it's like a theme in my, in my mind. And mm-hmm. one of those is, how do I close the sale without seeming pushy? How do I yeah. Without seeming pushy. Um, and so this question gets asked to me in a lot of different ways. One of my favorite ways that I'm able to uncover this issue is salespeople will tell me things like, 
Um, everybody really seems to like me. I really connect well with merchants. I feel like I have a really good pipeline. And I'm like, how many sales have you made in the last week? And they're like, right. none. Oh, okay. How many yeah. new contacts have you made? 14. Okay. And, you know, eight of them really like me and I have no sales. So I want to really talk about this. And I, I think some of this is maybe going to be a little counterintuitive to some of our listeners. Okay. Um, but I would encourage them to have a bit of an open mind and not mind me, uh, you know, kind of giving you a hard time for a minute. Okay. So <laughs> let, let me explain that if you end a week and you're a sales professional, which mm -hmm. means you sell people things, right? If you end a week and you got eight people to like you and none of them bought something, can I say to you that that was a failure? Yeah. That was, that was, that is exactly the same as ending a week where eight people don't like you. And you well, it's, it's not a popularity contest, right? No, it's <laughs> you know? a sale. It's, yeah, it's a sale. <laughs> so I would submit that it is very important to understand that ending a week where everyone liked you versus not liked you is not the measure of your level of success. Success, yeah. The second thing I would say is, you, you know, a lot of salespeople have this misconception that, well, these people, I think I've made a friend. I think I made a connection. Really? So you're really like, me, this is about making friends? Well, my thing, yeah, right. But then also <laughs> it's like, you really think this is your friend? Okay, so this person likes you so much and they're so much your friend that you offer to save them $1,000 a year doing exactly what they're already doing now and they turned you down. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds like a great friendship to me. Yeah. Did they invite yeah. you over for a barbecue or something? Like, right. stop kidding yourself. This is not your friend. They don't really like you that much at all. Right. They like you just enough to get rid of you. Mm -hmm. But they really don't. So I think there's this misconception that it's like, well, I'm making all these really good connections. No, you're not. If they really wanted to be connected with you that much, they would say yes. Right. So I think it's first, you know, initially, you've got to get this idea out of your head that somehow there's some kind of intrinsic value in getting people to like you. There's mm -hmm. value in getting people to like you so you can sell them. Right. But if you don't sell them, there's really no value. And the last thing you have to understand is, once people have all the information necessary to make a buying decision, if they give you a maybe, your odds of getting a yes are going to go down every day, every moment after mm -hmm. that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your best shot of getting somebody to say yes is always, 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 once you have the decision maker and they have all the necessary information to make a buying decision and you believe it's the right decision to make, that moment is when you have the highest possible chance of getting a yes. You say, well, they told me they want to think about it. Okay. If you let them think about it and you come back, your odds of getting a yes are probably half, if not right. a third right. of what they are right now, if you continue pushing forward. So how do you get them to say yes without being pushy? Yeah. So I'm glad you said that, Patty. So let me answer <laughs> that question. Okay? okay. So first of all, we have to define pushy. All right. Okay. So all of us have this experience growing up where we asked our parents for something. We mm -hmm. wanted ice cream. We wanted a new bike. New we bike. Right. 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 Now we were pushing our parents, asking them many times for what we wanted. Right. Right. And we figured out where the line was mm -hmm. by doing what? We crossed the line. Of course. Right. And course. so eventually our parents said, you're not getting any ice cream for a week. 
because you're driving driving me crazy. (laughs) Hush, you know? And you're like, okay, now I know I can push mom and dad to a certain point, but I now know where that line is. And unfortunately, we are bringing up this generation of salespeople that has never crossed the line. Mm -hmm. And they don't even know where it is. And when I talk to them and they're like, well, you know, I'm worried that they're going to be upset with me. They're going to kick me out of the store. I'm like, well, why? What did you do? Well, I I asked them if they wanted to move forward and they said, no, I can't say anything after that. (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, Uh, how about why? (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, well, if you asked them 14 or 15 more times in a row, they might get really upset. But these salespeople I'm talking to have no concept of where the line is. You don't even understand, like you can't even see the line from where you're at. It's so far away. Mm. You know, most small business owners actually come from a generation where they like it when people want their business and that they're passionate about it. That doesn't mean they're going to roll over and say yes. It means they're going to give you a hard time to see if you're willing to persevere through Mm -hmm. their resistance to show them that you want their business. And so the key to not seeming pushy is to be sincere. That's the key. If you want to close sales without seeming pushy, be sincere. Mm. What I mean by that is your response to their resistance has to be sincerity. Mm-hmm. Someone says to me, James, um, you know, uh, we don't really, we're not interested. We need to think about it, whatever. I say something like this. I'll say, you know, Susan, I totally understand where you're coming from. And I appreciate that. I would never want you to make a decision that you're not comfortable with. Right. But here's the thing. I do want to make sure you know that I want your business. It's, it's actually really important to me. Just like your clients are important to you, my clients are important to me, and I want you to be one of my clients. And mm-hmm. let me also say this, Susan, I'm not asking you to marry me. I'm not asking for a 10-year commitment, okay? <laughs> Susan, I want to do your credit card processing. This is not, we're not launching a rocket ship here, right? Like, right. I just want to save you money, and I want you to give me a chance to do that and to prove myself, and I promise you, that you are not going to regret it. If I'm willing to do this and take all the risk, give you a month-to-month agreement, whatever, whatever, are you at least willing to give me a shot, Susan? Let's try it out. Are you going to give me a shot today? Right, right. And Susan says, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think. Oh, so. come on, Susan. Susan, Susan come on, Susan. <laughs> I want your business. Like, come on, let's do this. You, you can do this with me, right, Susan? Right. That is what salespeople sound like. And I got to be honest with you, Patty, I get tired of hearing and trying to train salespeople that don't sound like salespeople anymore. Like, that's what a salesperson sounds like. A salesperson is sincere and they're passionate and they really, really want your business. And they're not afraid to tell you and they're not afraid to tell you why. And they're not afraid to explain why it's the right decision for you, not just for them. You know, right, right. That's and that's the underlying piece of it, Patty. It's like you gotta believe in what you're selling so much mm-hmm. that you actually, I mean, think about this. If if you literally I think I've used this example in other uh podcast episodes, if you had a ten thousand dollar check for that business owner and it was already it was a stimulus check from the government, right? And all they had to do was accept it, right? Uh-huh. How would you would you how would you feel about yourself if you couldn't get them to accept that money? You know. Wouldn't you try really hard? I mean, wouldn't you say like, Susan, what do you like? Hold on a second. Come on, just push that button. (laughs) Before I walk out of the door with 10 grand in my pocket, you're telling me you don't want to accept this check. Like, what are your questions? What's holding you back? Like you would be like befuddled. Like why on earth are you not accepting this money? And in our industry, like that's exactly what we're doing. We're offering them savings. We're offering them increased value, increased revenue, increased profits. And so when you have that passion, that's going to come out 
-hmm. and they're going to see it in sincerity. And yeah, you, if you do this and you push and you push and you convince and you have, you're passionate about it. Yes. You are absolutely going to have business owners that are going to say, look, you know, I understand what you're trying to do, but I'm telling you, no, I'm not interested. And let me tell you something. If you're not hearing that once every day or two, you're not a sales rep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but you're not a sales professional if you're not hearing that. So right. I'll close with this, Patty. What I tell reps all, all the time that are in this situation, I always ask them this question. I say, think about the last five people where you talk to them and you did not get a yes. Maybe you got a, a maybe, maybe you got a no, but you did not sell them. You're like, right. okay. I say, okay, you've got these people in your mind. I said, on a scale one to 10, 10 being they invited you over for a barbecue, one being they called the police and told you to get out. Okay. Right. right. Where are you on this scale with those five people right now? Mm-hmm. And inevitably they say seven, eight. And I say, great. I want you to take it to a three or a four. And they're like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take it to a three or a four. You mean that you left this person they did not buy from you. They didn't take the check. They did not accept the money you were trying to give them. And you left them, but while they still liked you that much, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with this? You got to try harder to sell them. And by the time you leave, they should be kind of like, you know, not like angry, but I mean, they should be like, that's enough, you know, like, no. Because what you're doing is you're leaving so many deals on the table. My, my, my experience working with reps is this. You're only going to close about one third of the possible deals. You're going to close with a one close, you know, uh, very minimal strategy, no right. pushiness. You're only going to get about one third. The right. other two thirds are going to require two, three, four, five closing attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're just not getting those deals. And people like me that sound like a sales rep, um, you're like, well, I don't want to sound like a sales rep. Why not? You, you are. are a sales rep. Like, <laughs> there's a reason that we sound like sales professionals. You know why I sound like a sales professional? Because I sell stuff. So right, right. people like buying from me because they're like, man, this guy, like he wants my business. And so right, right. until you have that passion, um, you're going to have a very hard time in sales because that's kind of what sales is. And then, you know, until you have that passion, you might be a friend, but you're not going to be a salesman. <laughs> and, and, the, and you know, the sad truth is, Patty, you're probably not even going to be that. Right. Right. You might think you're a friend, but unless right. you're at their barbecue, you're not their friend. Exactly. So don't kid yourself. Be what you're supposed to be, which is a sales professional and close the deal. So great. there you go. Thanks, James. That was great. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. You know, folks, I uh, reported a few weeks ago about a survey indicating how consumers would like to use P2P accounts like Venmo and Zelle to pay, you know, to pay merchants. Um, for example, four in 10 uh, customers of Venmo said they would use the, the app more often if it were app offered as an option on the favorite websites or mobile apps. Well, now comes news that Venmo is making that a reality. Uh, we received an email from a listener asking about this, so I did a little research, and here's what I came up with. 
consumers and businesses have had the option to exchange payments using Venmos for some time um, by integrating with another payment platform such as PayPal and Baintree. Mm. But from what I understand, Venmo, Venmo is now eliminating that integration step and becoming a payment platform of its own. Uh, to accept payments via Venmo, uh, somebody has to set up a business profile. So, you know, James, I might have a Venmo profile for Patty Murphy, right? Right. But my um, business profile would be separate from that. Right. Okay. Okay. Sure. So, sure. yeah, you know, stands to reason. Um, and so, um, it's connected to their existing Venmo account, but it's sort of like a sub account. And right now it's free to accept payment for goods and services via Venmo, but beginning April 1st, the, uh, a business will pay 1.9% plus 10 on every payment paid to its tr profile. I, I love watching, I love watching <laughs> all these, uh, pure tech plays that are not in it for, you know, whatever. And then the uh, next thing, you know, they've integrated their 1.9 plus 10. It's like, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of like these companies, I, I think it's, um, I think it's so interesting. Yeah. You know, I'm reading a book right now about um, private equity firms. And uh -huh. I think it's so interesting, the capital structure that exists today, where literally if you have a good idea at scale, mm -hmm. you can just go get the money to get it to scale. Right. You know, and that's what these companies are doing. And people that don't recognize that they get, you know, in, in a lot of ways, in my opinion, overly concerned. It's like, well, how am I going to compete with Venmo? The way you're going to compete with Venmo is you're going to wait until Venmo realizes that they have to make money. Exactly. Which exactly. is next month. Right. <laughs> so, or two or a month and a half. Whatever, but, right? Yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah, right. It's like. It's like, you know, it's not going to be free. There is an underlying cost structure that exists in our industry. Um, and so anyway, but go ahead. I'll continue. But no, no, no. You know, and so, you know, Venmo is, has been saying for a while that you can use the app at any locale that accepts PayPal mobile payments. Right. Um, and here's the really nifty thing about Venmo. Every time somebody uses Venmo to make a payment, unless they initiate privacy settings, uh, the the um, transaction appears on a mobile feed for all their followers and friends to see, mm. you know, and that kind of goes to the, you know, research okay. has consistently shown that word of mouth is the best way to land new customers. And so now Venmo is offering a digital version of that, right? Right. right. I mean, uh, here's and that, how. And that's going to drive more, I would imagine, of, you know, right now, a limited number of Venmo users. I mean, they have a lot of users, no doubt. Right, right. Right. Um, and so it's going to let them know, hey, that, that you know, merchant accepts Venmo. Exactly. I, I think my big question with all this, not to I'm steal your thunder, I'm sure you're probably getting this, but, you know, so it, is it in the near future with this new payment platform or whatever it is that they have, are they talking about a direct to merchant or are they also talking about, you know, first data is going to be able to accept Venmo or something, you know what I mean? Like, And that's the impression that I get is that it is it, that, you know, the inter there's already integrations in, pl in place for PayPal and, and with Baintree, okay? So it Got seems it. to me that it's only a matter of time. So maybe this 1.9% in 10 cents is kind of their version of interchange in a way. Yeah. Right, where it's like, yeah. okay, first data, you can accept payments and charge whatever you want on top of the Venmo payment, but we're going to get 1.9% in 10 cents. Right. And then, that you makes know, that makes, to me, that makes sense. Yeah. And I, and I don't, and that's the way I see it going. Right. Um, 
there's another there's another real upside I think for merchants in accepting Venmo, and that is same day funds. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. we've yeah. talked it's, about it's, this in the pit. Isn't it nearly instant? It's nearly instant, and, and we've talked about this in the past. It's instant to your account, but the actual transaction in, in the background is still having to go through the ACH or something, right? Sure. So. Sure. It sounds like it'll work kind of more like the old. I would, I and I, who you know, who knows? But I mean, I would imagine they're going to structure it kind of like um, American Express Direct mm-hmm. was, you know, where where they're doing the funding and all of that, and maybe the merchants even getting a separate statement from Venmo, right? Because Venmo has its own kind of ecosystem, right? Right. And they're allowing the authorization and everything to happen on the front end through like a First Data or a Tesis or whoever. Right. Right. And I think that that's, you know, there has, they have to put up some risk parameters. And one of the risk parameters, when I was pouring through all of Venmo's documentation on these new business accounts, which was interesting, is that um, they can only accept 30 payments a day, at least at this point. Really? Yeah. So to me, and that's, that's, probably, that's probably fraud prevention. Right. And, and the fact it, it's fraud prevention, but I think it also sort of is uh attuned to to really small businesses right sure yeah uh, yeah i mean and again i mean i guess my thing is and, and it's such an interesting thing Patty, because it you know to me it, it points out this larger trend i think right now in our industry everybody is terrified of the the disruptors the fintech disruptors and with good reason i mean that's that's a threat you always need to be on the lookout sure. for. sure but i will say the players that i've seen so far that are existing in the marketplace their real goal is to get big enough to get the attention of the existing infrastructure. Exactly. They're, they're exactly. not, well, it's not like they want to eliminate first data. They want first data to pay them $50 million a month. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You know, Venmo is trying to get big enough and get enough users to be able to go to first data. And well, now I guess it'd be uh, what FI or FISERV and then go to FIS right. or FIS or whatever. Right. right. They want to go to these monsters and say, you need to accept Venmo. Right. And all they have to do is get two of those, you know, if they get FIS and Fiserv, they're done. They're done. Then they're right. gonna, then then they're they're gonna once it's all done, they're gonna get acquired by somebody and they're gonna go live on a beach. So I think, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't seen you know, uh, you know, if Elon Musk decides to get involved in the payments industry, I'll be a little bit nervous about that. You know, I'm more concerned about even, you know, somebody like a Jeff Bezos with you know Amazon and they're kind oh, of yeah. starting to get into it. You know, that scares me because that's actually like they're literally, you know, Amazon is literally pulling revenue that would otherwise be going into our pool into their pool. Yes. And and yes. that to me, that's the kind of disruption that I that scares me. These smaller players that are coming in, like Venmo and stuff that now are getting really large. It, again, it just to me, it seems like they, you know, the whoever the sales rep is that asked this question, they want you. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Venmo wants you selling Venmo acceptance to your merchants. Yeah. We haven't been able to pull it off yet, but that's their end. But that's goal. our goal. But yeah, that's the goal. Exactly. So just to give a little bit of background, you know, just <clears throat> For anybody who doesn't know, Venmo is a mobile app that's owned by PayPal, which already claims that it has 200 million shoppers worldwide. About 65 million of those use Venmo. But here's the interesting thing. Venmo contributes only about 4% to PayPal's overall revenues, according to company statements. Right. People that that use it don't use it very much. And the reason is because of merchant acceptance. Right. Right. It's not, you can't use Venmo everywhere. So, you know, further monetizing this 
you know, is obviously a new focus for PayPal. Right. Um, you know, and and they look at it as you know the user base for Venmo is much younger and slightly more fluent than the average consumer. Right. So that makes it good. Uh, obvious pay, uh, competitors with this are Google Pay, Apple Pay, and of course Zelle, the bank-owned mobile payment app. And, you know, Zelle, for its part, has also been reaching out to small businesses. Right. Uh, several banks that offer it, a, um, you know, offer it as a merchant payment acceptance and are um, not charging anything. Right. U.S. Bank, for example, is waiving all Zelle payment acceptance fees until the COVID-19 pandemic is over. At which point it'll be 1.9% in 10 cents. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, Again, it's just, you know, you know, but I think, I think you bring up an interesting point. You know, you could say Apple pay is a, is a quasi competitor of some, of some kind to this. Right. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, it, you know, a competitor meaning consumers using their phones to make payments. I guess, right. 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 Well, what is the very first thing that, and again, even Apple pay, which is really not taken off like a rocket ship. Right. But you know, it's, it's a significant player, no doubt. But when we look at Apple Pay, how did Apple Pay grow its network? Did it? Did Apple create a separate payment processing company to compete with First Data? And no, no. He went to all these companies and said, "You should be accepting Apple Pay. Here are the costs to do so." Mm -hmm. And and the reason they were able to negotiate that deal is because 300 million, you know, or 160 million Americans have an iPhone, right? Right. So now, you know, really, in my opinion, Venmo, and in this case, you know, via PayPal, is trying to do the same thing. They're just saying, okay, the PayPal app wasn't very successful at getting people to actually use it to make payments, you know, in person. Right. So they're saying, hey, let's use Venmo now. And I think eventually that'll merge probably together as the PayPal kind of thing. Right. And they're just trying to be able to go to these big companies and say, we have 65 million users that are using it. You should accept. You should it. be accepting it as well. Exactly. And, and First Data is going to say, sure, as long as we can mark it up, we don't care. Well, you know, and that's that's the really <laughs> like cool. Our MasterCard or anything else, you know. Right. And remember, First Data being owned by Pfizer, which has a huge yes. market of, of banks and, yes. and credit unions as its clients. Right. I mean, it's interesting that the, the Zelle, um, you know, when I was researching yeah. Zelle, um, there were all these recent announcements out of Pfizer about, yes. you know, Zelle, use Zelle for B2B and, you know, use Zelle at your point of sale. So, yep. you know, they obviously, be, you know, being Pfizer and First Data, they have a lot of clout that I think you're going to see Zelle, you know, at least doing this, the same thing as, as Venmo. Absolutely. And then the question will be, is Venmo going to get blocked? Because that could FIS, be because yeah. FIS has a huge banking back, you know, as, uh, you know, group as, as well. well. Sure. So is, you know, is Zell going to get, you know, an un, you know, a uh, unfair advantage in a way? I mean, not really unfair, but, you know, a big advantage. Just a leg up. Right. A leg up because it's like, hey, they've already got all the banks. And, you know, I come to think of it, I'm, I, now that you say that, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised that it's not been a bigger push to get the ISOs to sell Zelle acceptance to merchants. So yeah. your merchant account. Well, especially because, I mean, yeah, exactly. All these banks, they already have a DDA with these banks, you know, right. just offer it as a merchant account, you know, as part of their merchant services package. Yeah, it'd be a no brainer. So I'm sure we'll see all those things. And so I, I would, am too. you know, my thought, Patty, I don't know your thought. I mean, what I would say to this agent is, you know, uh, yeah, keep your eye on it, but ultimately, you, you know, you have something that everybody wants, and that is the ability to get small business owners to accept a new form of payment. Right. And so most of the new forms of payment that come out, if they get big enough to matter, 
next thing you know, you're going to be able to offer acceptance. That's the way I feel. Yeah. Well, good stuff, Patty. Thanks, James. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, the technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to tips. Now, all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing, all with cash discounting in mind. Valor Paytech, bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.